Good day, everyone, and welcome back to the Ventilator Podcast, where three friends come together to talk about all things ventilators. I'm one of your hosts, Jerome Lovelady, and my other co-hosts are Michael Schaff and Caleb Curtis. And guys, we're really thrilled to be with you today. We've got a really good topic to discuss today, and we're going to be talking about ventilator modes. And I know that there's a ton of ventilator modes out there and a ton of different names, and I just kind of wanted to get your guys' opinion on the different names and what they mean and kind of just kind of walk through what these uh, different names and what they are. So, uh, Mike, Caleb, you guys, uh, what are your thoughts on that? So, yeah, one of the biggest things, Jerome, you know, when you go into a hospital is trying to figure out what's PRVC, what's biphasic, what's this, what's that, and trying to have a conversation with the respiratory therapist at the bedside, trying to figure it out. One of the things that we teach and try to teach inside the classroom is understanding what the mode is actually doing and getting some education from respiratory therapist or the physician at bedside, or even trying to just look on the screen and trying to figure out what type of mode that it's actually doing. Saying the name out to you and understanding what the mode is, just for instance, like assist control. You know, what is the control part? What is the assist part? Synchronized intermittent mandatory ventilation. What's the mandatory ventilation? What are, does it synchronize? And what's the intermittent? So understanding each piece of the equation and trying to break it down, I think is the biggest one. But also understanding, you know, kind of like what we're going to talk about today with the volume targeted versus the pressure targeted um, and just simplifying it from there. If I know what it's trying to target and I know uh you know, what the mode is trying to target, whether it be volume or whether it be pressure, or it could be a combination like with PRVC. Um, I think that's some of the first things that you have to uh, look at and kind of break down in your head, uh, but also understand is what your transport ventilator can do and how you're going to accomplish that transport mode on your ventilator, which goes back to knowing your equipment. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, speaking from a uh, a paramedic side of the house, uh, coming from ground and then going uh, to air critical care transport, uh, you know, that's probably my biggest stumbling point is when I went in and trying to figure uh, what modes meant what and what it was doing and trying to wrap my head around uh, what was going on from the hospital and then trying to equate it to what I needed to adjust on the ventilator that I was using at that time. And, and Shoff, um, what, what do you think? I mean, we've come in there and we've got things that are coming from, you know, the hospital side going to the transport side. And some of the questions I know that we'd be asking is what are the modes and what's this mean? Because I know there's different names out there, but, um, what, what are you, uh, kind of perceive that we probably should be doing? Yeah. Good question. Um, <laughs> the modes it's, it's probably one of the most complicated things to explain in a respiratory field. And, and I, I echo what you both said about incorporating your respiratory therapist at bedside uh, to understand what mode the patient is on, because there's probably over 180 names of, of modes. Some of them mimic each other, but, you know, these companies are looking for product differential and they, they come up with a different name for the same kind of mode because it does something a little bit different. 
the most important thing is obviously to, to make sure the mode that they're on in the hospital is the appropriate mode that they should be on in the hospital, checking your blood gases and things like that. The next most important thing is to, to you know, look to the future to make sure that the patient is going to be on the most appropriate mode for the transport because the environment's going to be different, very dynamic environment in the transport arena that they may not be very comfortable on the mode they're on in the hospital when we put them on the stretcher in the back of the, the uh, aircraft. Um, so, so you have to take that into consideration. So back to modes, um, you have to ask, how is that ventilator interacting with the patient? And, and that's where I break it down. One of the challenges is when we get new ventilators in our hospital, they'll have all these fancy modes. And my first question is, okay, can the patient take a spontaneous breath or did they just triggered a preset breath, right? And then from there, I ask a, a variety of questions on how is the flow terminated? Is it time terminated, volume or pressure terminated? What, what cycles that breath into the exhalation phase? What triggers it into the inspiratory phase? And what cycles it into the expiratory phase? And, and that makes a difference, right? And, and what am I targeting? right? Is it a volume target? That would be like a uh, breath control variable. Is it a volume target I'm asking it to do? Or is it a pressure target I'm asking it to do? Or is it a percent minute volume, right? Those, those are some of the questions you want to ask. And then you want to look at the breath sequence, which is the actual assist control, SIMV or CPAP kind of mode, right? And then there's also the targeting scheme where you get into the more advanced servo-driven, closed-loop feedback systems, things like that, uh, typical with adaptive support ventilation with the Hamilton T1. So you got to ask yourself all of those questions. Now, to make it really simple, and, and this is what I do in some of the classes, is I look at the hospital ventilators, what they have to offer, and then I always have to say, like Caleb mentioned earlier, what does your transport do, right? Can my transport ventilator adequately do assist control, SIMV, and CPAP with pressure support. And those are the basic, here, here's the basic modes that I could break it down as simple as possible to make, remember I said 180 plus mode names. Let's just talk about five, okay? So assist control is really the patient cannot take a spontaneous breath, meaning whatever breath they want. They can trigger a breath to a preset value of volume or pressure, right? So assist control, you set a bare minimum rate. They call it a backup rate, I guess, or say of an adult rate of 14, title volume of 500. Well, they're going to get seven liters per minute, minute volume, if they're paralyzed or not breathing above the vent. But when they, when they trigger a breath, they want a breath, right? So the, the flow sensor or the pressure sensor says, hey, you know, we got to go ahead and give this patient a breath. They'll get that 500 tidal volume every time, right? So every breath is the same. They can't breathe spontaneously. So assist control can be targeted in volume or pressure. That's two modes. The next is SIMV, synchronized intermittent mandatory ventilation, where I, I define that as the patient can take a spontaneous breath in between the set breaths. So go back to 14 rate, tidal volume of 500, right? They'll have a minute volume of seven liters per minute. If they go ahead and trigger a breath, or excuse me, if they want a spontaneous breath, they'll get what they want in between those 14 breaths per minute. 
So that's SIMV. Now you would typically add pressure support on top of that, at least to get by the airway resistance of the ET tube, right? So a bare minimum pressure support of five, probably you would titrate that pressure support to get a good exhale tidal volume. Keep in mind, SIMV was designed as a weaning mode. And um, I always like to say that we are not weaners in the transport arena. So <laughs> okay. Just be aware that it, but it has its place. It, it definitely has its place. It was SIMV, coming. you knew it, right? You knew it was going to put that in there. <laughs> But it does have its place for the patient that's breathing in the 30s to to prevent some breath stacking, okay? So that's another two modes, SIMV mode in a volume target or a pressure target. You can target in either one. So that's four modes. So what's the fifth mode? It's plain old CPAP, right? Continuous positive airway pressure. And typically, if somebody's intubated, and I want to put them on CPAP for various reasons, I would add pressure support and titrate that pressure to get a desired exhale tidal volume. So all of that involves monitoring the patient closely because the minute volume is going to fluctuate, right, based on what that patient wants to pull. Um, I often like to say when you're in CPAP and PSV, um, do not use the word rocuronium on your patient. That is not a very good combination. <laughs> they need to be breathing spontaneously in that. There's no backup rate. And just keep in mind with the pressure support uh ventilation with the CPAP, there's no eye time set for that either. So that that plays into the mean airway pressure um, and how long those alveoli are open, where in the other four modes I mentioned, you you have control over that eye time uh, and that helps add to the mean airway pressure. So there you go. AC, pressure volume, SMV, pressure volume, and CPAP with PSV if needed is your five modes that are usually, that most transport ventilators that I've dealt with in the last 15 years, uh, allow that, those five modes. And you can spin off of that with different modes that they have. And we'll get into further um, uh, modules about this podcast, about the more sophisticated modes. But for, from my standpoint, I like to keep it real simple. Let's just talk about five modes for for the time being for transport. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just looking at that, I, I had to, and I like the way that you try to uh or that you did break it down uh because i have to look at it this way is that and you guys have heard me say it before i really prefer things to be simple because if it's not simple i'm i'm probably not as prone to use it or not as prone to be able to understand it uh and not to saying that i couldn't understand any other of those modes it just to me i like to have a good foundation and I prefer it to be a little simpler before I start building up on uh, different modes and different topics. And like you did say, uh, with it being over 180 different names out there, which one am I going to be looking at? Which one is it? Different questions that I'm going to be asking. Um, the The thing that I'm wondering about is that I know that when we go in there and we whether we're using assist control or we're using SIMV, uh, what about volume targeted versus pressure targeted? And I know that we've talked about the what it is, I guess, but let's say we have a patient that's on assist control and we want to do volume targeted. 
what would be some of the settings and what what would some of the things that we would be monitoring if it was assist control volume targeted versus pressure targeted? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome to Fuller Butts, a behind-the-scenes plastic surgery podcast. Yes, you heard that right. Join your co-hosts, Dr. Sam Fuller and Dr. Dan Butts, board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeons on an exclusive full-access pass into the world of plastic surgery. Combining their expertise and training, Drs. Fuller and Butts will share medical insights, detailed explanations, and lighthearted humor to keep you entertained and informed. We're certain you'll become passionate about the plastic surgery specialty and between debunking myths, uncovering truths, or just making you laugh out loud at their perspective on this creative and artistic field. We've got something for everyone. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a really good question. Um, I, my belief is that you, there's advantages to volume and there's advantages to pressure targeting. And, and I, through, um, through the years have realized that volume targeting is probably used about 90% of the time because it guarantees you a minute volume, right? You're locked into a minute volume. The volume target, the, the most important thing that you would monitor is your peak inventory pressure or your plateau pressure. If you have the capability to measure your plateau pressure, that's the big deal. And that's the variable when the compliance and resistance changes that will alert you that you need to intervene with the patient right? or do your dope or, you know, get in there and listen to the lungs or you need to suction or bronchodilate. Um, that's, that's common in volume ventilation and, and that can be a problem. So um, the, the advantage is some of the older um, volume ventilators would have a fixed peak flow to, to the patient based on the volume and the eye time. And that could be limiting to somebody that's air trapping, right? So they typically would have a square waveform of flow going in, which is set. And, and if the patient's really tugging, they want more air, it appears they're air hungry. There's some things you can do. You could drop the eye time just a little bit to bring that flow in quicker. I'm assuming you had the target tidal volume where you wanted it, so I wouldn't raise the target tidal volume at six to eight milliliters per kilogram of predicted body weight. But I might switch over to pressure targeted breath because the pressure targeted breath typically has typically has a decelerating flow, and that allows the patient to get a, a, a bigger flow in if they're air hungry. That's been my experience. So, uh, but now today's ventilators are realizing that, and the sophistication of these ventilators is such that. The, even in the volume ventilation, they're doing a decelerating flow, which is really PRVC, pressure-regulated volume control, which by nature is not a particular mode. You can make an argument for semantics that it is, but it's really a dual control uh, mode, I guess you'd call it, uh, because you could do you could do AC in PRVC and you could do SIMV in PRVC, right? But th- my point is, today's ventilators realize that the manufacturers that sending in a decelerating flow is mimicking the pressure delivered breath, you could still target a volume, which is really the best of both worlds when you look at it. But I typically like the pressure delivered breath because I could limit my plateau, right? I could limit where that pressure cuts off. Now, the problem with that is, is if the lung compliance and airway resistance changes, my exhale tidal volume fluctuates. 
So I have to really closely watch my exhaled minute volume alarms and set those really tight to that. Um, but I, I, by nature, I'm a pressure guy, but I will also use volume ventilation in, in a lot of my cases too. It's a case by case basis. Nobody's, again, I get back to there's no one magic mode for every patient. So I'd, I'd look at the patient and see if this is somebody that's going to come out of sedation or, or uh, perilous and, and, and become anxious. I might want to put them in pressure ventilation so they have that ability. Uh, again, it gets down to knowing your machine, knowing its capabilities. The big problem is if you're transferring, you decide to go to pressure control from volume at the hospital, you got to kind of titrate that pressure to get the tidal volume you think you're going to get. Cause it is, it's again, it's variable how that goes. And we, we proved that in our test labs that our event labs that we do in person, um, how pressure ventilation will sometimes get a bigger volume. Um, so that's, that's a couple of things that you really uh, need to look at. And in the end, it, you really, the problem with another problem with pressure ventilation is does your machine deliver it above the peep? the pressure that you're putting in, is it set above the peep or is it a pip machine, which is just when you set the pressure, that's where it pops off. That's where it's done. So you really have to look at your Delta P, your change in pressure or your driving pressure um, to see what it is basically um, with your volume ventilation. So let's say your tight volume is 500 and your pip is 20. Well, if you have a pressure above peep type machine, I call it a PAP machine, then you would set your pressure above peep at 15 because your peep would typically be five and that would give me a pip of 20. So when you're dealing with a pressure delivered breath you really, and switching over, you really need to look at what that peak inspiratory pressure is in volume ventilation and work backwards from there. If you have a PAP machine, and if you have a pit machine, then you would just put the pressure at 20 and the delta P would be 15 if you had a peep of five. And I hope that's not too complicated um, because it is. I think, it I is. Think, <laughs> I think I just complicated myself. So I'm going to let care. It's so hard to explain. You, you got to do it on a chalkboard. It really um, is easier to do it on a chalkboard. I, I will agree with that. Yeah. If we had a whiteboard, <laughs> it would be, it would be magical to try to try to go into a, Pressure above PEEP versus a PIP machine. And and we get this a lot in transport when we first get there, is trying to understand, especially in pressure modes, as to what's what's the pressure that's actually being delivered to the uh, to the patient. Does that include the PEEP or does that just the pressure control setting or the P inspiratory pressure setting, whatever the setting actually is on the ventilator itself. You know, most of the vents now... <clears throat> that I believe are coming out are pressure above PEEP. And so that's going to be a lot easier. However, some of the old ones uh, that are still like the piston-driven ventilators, uh, those are usually the PIP ventilators. And so whatever your pressure is actually setting, you know, there, that's the pressure that you're getting. That doesn't necessarily include above PEEP. And so just above PEEP, just like what Shaf was actually saying earlier, you have to look at whatever your pressure setting is and then add it, add the PEEP to it, which is known as a cumulative vent. A non-cumulative or non-compensatory uh, ventilator setting or something like that would be like the PIP vents, what he was describing earlier, too, where it's just purely the pressure that's actually setting <clears throat> and not inclusive of the uh, PEEP that's setting there. <clears throat> so... 
that always confuses, at least that confused me when I first got there, because when I, I came out of the ICU, and so I was used to most of the time the pressure above the peep, and that's always what we actually added. And then when I actually went back into the transport world and started flying in CCTs and then looking at the transport ventilators, and they would be a little bit limited, um, that was what was throwing me off because I couldn't understand. And so I'd always have to kind of go back over there to the waveforms and look at the pressure and see what the true pressure was actually delivering and seeing if it was actually hitting the pressure up there uh, total. So if you had a pressure control setting of 15 and then you had a peep of uh, five, then that would actually go back up to 20. And then that would be the first thing that I would actually look for to try to get in my head. Okay, now how am I going to have to translate this over here to my ventilator? Because with some ventilators, <clears throat> you're setting like a target PIP or something like that. And so when you're setting the target PIP, you're trying to achieve the peak inspiratory pressure up there. But you're also trying to say, okay, well, now is this going to add the peak to it or is it not going to add the peak to it? Because I'm going to have to compensate for that and try to see what pressures that they were trying to get on the ventilator at the hospital and how I'm going to actually achieve this on the transport ventilator when I'm transporting this patient over here. Because to, uh, to Shaw's point, you know, with pressure targeted versus uh, versus volume targeted, I've heard a lot of people actually say, well, I'm just a pressure targeted. I don't care what you are. It's what your patient actually needs and because there's no magic mode, right? Just like he said, it's whatever the patient needs. Some people or some patients are going to do better in other modes at the hospital because they have higher flow rates than what we can actually achieve on transport ventilators. This is just a different world, you know, kind of coming off there. Plus, you know, backing up just a little bit with the volume targeted versus the pressure targeted, knowing what parameters that you're actually looking at. You know, with the volume target, you're going to get a set volume each time. So your pressures are going to fluctuate back and forth depending on what you're limiting on your parameters, what your high, what your high settings are and what your low settings actually are. And so it could be limiting the amount of volume that you're actually getting in there. Some ventilators are actually going to show you kind of like what Shaf was actually saying with the uh, PRVC modes or it mimics like a PRVC. So it uses the minimum um, <clears throat> With the minimum pressure settings to achieve the uh, the target tidal volume that you're trying to achieve in there. And so it's just slowly increases that pressure, uses the minimum pressure to get to the actual tidal volume that you're getting. Other ventilators, you're setting the uh, tidal volume and then you're limiting the pressure with the high range limits up here. Unfortunately, sometimes the those ve those ventilators, those transport ventilators only have a very small screen. And so they don't necessarily give you a big picture because they're limited. They only show you the waveform, which is usually the pressure waveform that's coming through. And it's not anything else. You can't see the flow. You can't see the volume that's actually being delivered to the patient over here, too. You just have to look at the monitored values on the screen. So it can be sometimes limiting. I don't know. Am I making sense with any of this to you guys or <clears throat> did I further confuse it? It's a lot to unpack, to be honest with you. <laughs> so, so one thing that I just – the whole thing with pressure ventilation is um, you just got to really know what the driving pressure is needed for that patient's ventilation status. And, and, and that's the delta P, the change in pressure from PEEP up to plateau, right? And, and that's what you need to pay attention to. The, the, the other part I'd like to mention is that 
if my experience is like, let's say I'm in the emergency department and trauma comes in and I want to switch right over to pressure control. Well, I don't know what the PIP once was because I'd never had a midline ventilation. I'll start at, you know, a PAP, a peak control of 15 over five, which would give me a PIP of 20. And I'll look at my exhale tidal volume. Now I'll have the exhale tidal volume calculated in my head what I'm targeting. And if I need to titrate up some, I will. Right. But I, 15 over five is a good starting point for me. I'm not telling anybody to do that. I'm just telling you through my experience for an adult, that's a safe starting spot. I may lower it, right? If my tidal volumes overshoot my projected or targeted tidal volumes that I had calculated, or I may raise it a little bit too. But at least I know I'm limiting. I'm not going to go past my target pressure or my plateau in pressure ventilation above 30. Right. I'm going to set that where I don't want it to go above 30 because that's what the OrgeNet protocol taught me. So the other thing to remember is with non-invasive uh, BiPAP machines, the V60, the Visions, those are PIP delivered machines. So when somebody says to you, I'm picking up a patient in the hospital and uh, they're on non-invasive, uh, they run a V60 or a Vision or whatever, and they're 10 over five. Well, if you're that, that means with those machines, that's a PIP machine. So the Delta P is only five. So on your PAP machine, you would put a pressure of five over a PEEP of five if it's adequate for that patient, right? Don't put 10 over five because it's going to be 15 over five. Absolutely. Knowing that it's a PAP machine. So knowing the differences is important. And we could dive a little deeper into this at a future uh, podcast. But for now, that's just plain and simple, the easiest way I can explain it. Well, you you know, with you guys, you know, talking the differences between PIP and PAP machines and the different modes, uh, I think what it just really boils down to is that when you are starting in the critical care transport environment and you're going to be going in there and you're going to be looking at these different ventilators and asking what this ventilator is doing as compared to what yours can do, it, it just boils down to, and I think I've heard both of you say it, that there's no one set mode or one set There's just there's not a one a set and forget it. There there's nothing out there that's going to be doing that. And I think all of us have probably heard different people in different classes that we've been a part of, whether we've been leading the class or whether we've been sitting in that class as well. Is that one person says, "Well, yes, I am a pressure guy, or I'm a volume guy, uh, and that's what I use." I've even heard people say as far as I'm only going to use this certain style of mode because it alarms less. And, and, and that, that really, that just really gets under my skin because um, I'm not caring if it alarms less or not. I want to make sure that the patient's getting what they need versus, uh, you know, me being there trying to deal with alarms. Sounds like a magic mode to me. One that doesn't alarm. What wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, well, you know they have the AI, you know that chatbot stuff. I mean, I wonder if you could just talk to the ventilator. This is what I need you to achieve. Can you make this happen? (laughs) It's coming. It's coming. You know, um, we're laughing. We're laughing, but it it, it, it's truly possible with some of this stuff. I'm sure. (laughs) In the neonatal units they have in Europe, they have uh, the vents hooked up to the oxygen and the pulse oximeter, and it titrates the oxygen. As, as for targeted uh, SpO2s because, you know, oxygen toxicity will make a kid blind, right? ROP. 
right? Wow. Right? Pre- prematurity. And, and if you think about it, you could, you know, if you believe your end tidal CO2, if it correlates with your PaCO2, you could titrate the minute volume based on your end tidal CO2 too. So it's not that far away. Truly. You did say something though, and this is a totally different one, but <clears throat> you know, one of the new things that's coming out with a lot of the vent or not a lot, let me limit that. A lot of the ventilators, just a few of the ventilators is the closed loop versus the open loop ventilation. That's going to be huge because sure. honestly, that's like, that is intelligent vent uh, technology that you're looking at. I know that's on the Hamilton T1 when we start trying to look into the ASV modes over there and looking at that complex formula that it actually uses, which still blows my mind because, you know, I'm the why person. I've still got to break this down in my, in my head as to what's, what's actually going on. But for the most part, for 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 years, um, we were doing the open loop ventilation modes and with the SINVs, with the ACs. And now you're looking at closed loop ventilation uh, technology that's going in and actually looking at the minimum pressures, the compliance of the chest, the resistance, and then giving you the feedback to the ventilator to actually interpret what that mode actually needs to do or what that it actually needs to do to achieve those pressures or those uh, those volumes inside the chest. So in a way, that it actually is kind of like AI technology is like looking into it, but you mm. still have to know uh, that with the loop uh, technology that's that's out there and how to read those loops. And me as being the the nurse and the and the medic over here, I'm still trying to read into those. Shelf, I know that's your area, though, too. But like we said, that's a whole different podcast, too, because I, I still have questions on that. Oh, I will. We'll expand on that with the expiratory time constants and all that. That's whew, to, to know when that lung is fully uh, exhaled, right, and emptied to, before they give the next breath prevents auto, auto peep, you know, air trapping. So there's, there's sophisticated software out there and flow sensing capabilities and just so much information as you put with the closed loop system and the feedback that it gets and then how it responds to what you wanted. It's absolutely amazing how far it's come from the old, you know, Univent 750s, um, pushing air in and hoping it comes back out. Yeah. Right that title volume and FIO2. <laughs> I mean, what else more do you need? I mean, that's, that's what I started <laughs> with. Exactly. exactly. Oh, you know, so many that, different things. So many different things. <clears throat> yep. You know, just trying to get started uh, with talking about the the closed loop systems and and getting other information back. And you guys are right. Um, The day is coming, but I think it still boils down to we're still going to have to be able to ask uh, it. We're going to have to be able to tell it what we want instead of. I need this or I need this. We're probably going to have to use certain terminology. And I think it's, that's, that's probably another big thing as well is that we need to make sure that we're all speaking the same language because in, you know, point in case, uh, Caleb, you being the nurse medic and Shaw, you being respiratory therapist, I could use this as a ground guy um, in the beginning, going in and asking questions and, asking you something about the vent. And if I didn't know what you were talking about, and, and I know I've heard stories of this as well, is that, you know, Shaw, if you'd give me a report and tell me what you've gotten, the medic's going to stand there and nod his head. Yeah, I understand it. Instead, for fear of looking bad and for fear of saying um, what is 
what they think it is. They don't want to look bad in front of you because they don't want to get that, I guess, nickname of someone that's going to come in there and, and not do very well or not be trusted. And I, I think it boils down to that. We all be, need to be using the same terminology and, and trying to um, communicate effectively, because I think that's going to be the, the biggest thing after we, we learn these modes and, and learn what they are versus what you think they are. And I think Caleb and I talked about this in, in different classes that we've had, uh, just asking somebody, what does SIMV mean? You know? Yeah. It's kind of, it's, I used to fly with a pilot. And the first time I looked on the back of his helmet, I was like, I was trying to read something. I was like, what is that that he has there? It said, stop screaming. I'm scared too. So I'm like, oh, so he's faking it until he makes it too sometimes. <laughs> Love it. Which is Love it. totally not what you want, but yes, when I teach now, it is trying to um, it's trying to get the understand it because you'd be surprised uh, every time I, re- I teach a, a basic class and you talk about SINV synchronized intermittent mechanical ventilations. No, 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 no. Come on, let's think about how the, the how the vocabulary is on this one. This in understanding each of the vocabulary terms that's in that mode name. That's also going to tell you PRVC is always scary to the transport people. Sometimes that PRVC is always scary, but when you break it down, what is it doing? What is it regulating? And what is it trying to control? You know, once you start breaking down the, the mode names in there, then you can have a better understanding. I hate acronyms. I can't stand acronyms. I think we acronym EMS worlds to death. Uh, Absolutely. If you understand why something is actually happening, the pathos side, then it's a whole lot easier to actually treat your patient. Ventilators don't fix patients. If you did, you would see a ventilator on the side of everybody's pocket or on the belt as they're walking around. It's the medications too, because you can get wrapped in there from the nurse standpoint too. When you can get wrapped in there, the the the, the vent is sitting there alarming <clears throat> the entire time. You're trying to figure out the mode. You're trying to interpret all this stuff. And then in the meantime, <clears throat> You've got a resistance problem with asthma, and you figure out no steroids have been given. Mag sulfate hasn't necessarily been given. Uh, we've only given the hour or maybe a couple of albuterol treatments or something over here. And it's like re- remembering is like you have to fix the patient internally. You're only supporting the patient with the ventilator. Don't forget that it's the bigger picture because it's kind of like getting sucked into the vortex. Once you're in the vortex, you're all the way down there. It's hard to get out. It's hard to climb out. You're looking up at the top and you're like, somebody, please help. Somebody, please help. <laughs> but there's no help. There's no help. So <clears throat> I think it's a pretty be- pretty good beginning now to where we can actually look at the introduction. I think this was the good introduction uh, as to part of this. Um, this is not it by far. I think because there's so much uh, other modes and stuff and what we're trying to do, like some maybe some specific ventilator nuggets in the future with some specific ventilator settings. So looking forward to that, too. What y'all got? That's it. I, I got I got I got a whole bunch more. But I mean, you know, you talked about PRVC and, and when it first came out, it was like, oh, my vent doesn't do PRVC. Doesn't matter. Ventilation, rate times tidal volume, oxygenation, PEEP, FIO2, mean airway. You just get back to the basics, right? So if your vent doesn't do PRVC, it's no big deal. You're, vo- you're targeting a volume with a rate. 
So you have a fixed minute volume. Now, do they need the pressure delivered breath, that decelerating flow? Yeah, they do. They're air hungry. So switch them to pressure and just aim for that target tidal volume. It's not rocket science, man. Air goes in and we hope it comes back out. That's all I got. No, I, you know, I, I, I like that. Uh, I think I'm going to use that in somewhere in a conversation somewhere that air goes in and we hope that it comes back out. I like that. Um, I think that, uh, guys, that's probably all the time that we've got for today. Um, but, um, before we go, I want to remind all of our listeners to, to hit that subscribe button. So you'll never miss an episode of our show. And if you've got any questions, comments, or just want to say hello, uh, drop us a line at critical care, triad at outlook.com. Whether you have a question, a comment, just to share your thoughts, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We love to read those emails. We love to see what you guys have out there. And we, we truly would love to hear from you. And, you know, speaking of different quotes or different thoughts, uh, I, I just kind of want to leave one with you uh, before you go. Um, I, I really want to say air goes in and we hope that it comes back out. I love that. And I'm going to use that somewhere at least once a week, if not every day, if I can get by with it. But when it comes to ventilator management, there's no room for complacency. Uh, so guys, just continuously improve, never stop learning. But thanks for tuning in. Until next time, guys, hit that subscribe button and keep those emails coming. And we'll see you guys later. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. The information provided in this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for medical direction or training. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the organization or institution that they may represent. The listeners are advised that the information contained in this podcast should be used in conjunction with professional medical training and best practice guidelines. The host and guests of this podcast take no responsibility for the actions or decisions of the listeners.